Welcome to A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk with Rev. Jennifer Hadley. Get ready to focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace through practical application. Here is your host, Rev. Jennifer Hadley. Bonjour. Bonjour. <laughs> Here we go. Ah, <laughs> oh, what a blessing. What a blessing you are to me. Thank you for joining with me. Because if you didn't join with me, I'd be talking to myself. But I I don't feel that I am. I feel like I'm talking with you. And I love that. So let's take a breath together. And I'm going to say a prayer and bless us. So grateful and thankful to know that we're already as perfect as perfect can be, as holy as holy can be. And we are grateful and thankful to allow ourselves to fully relinquish any idea to the contrary. We're consciously breathing the breath of God. We're partnering up with that higher Holy Spirit self. We're allowing ourselves to truly remember the Christ within. So grateful to dedicate ourselves to seeing that Christ light in our brothers and sisters. We are one. In gratitude, we come together for the purpose of healing, expansion, letting go of the false, and expanding our awareness of the truth. So grateful and so thankful to let the healing be. We share the benefits with our brothers and sisters because we're one with them. In gratitude, we know it's done. And so it is. Amen. 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 Yes. Hmm. So the topic this week is grief relief, which Spirit gave me. I know that many people are experiencing tremendous grief right now. And uh, and then other people aren't feeling that at all. But there are many people in the world who are grieving loved ones who've been lost, grieving a lifestyle that's been lost, grieving having to give up their homes and people who have had illness and and now their body is not functioning the way it used to, so they're grieving their lifestyle, all kinds of things. Many people have lost employment because of the pandemic. There are so many things going on in this world and we are recognizing that this is what's going on. We are grateful that we can choose to pray for those who are grieving. And if we are the ones who are grieving, we can be supported by that higher Holy Spirit self. We can discover what the grief is all about. I do feel it is worth contemplating what the grief is really about. So let's look at, in chapter 11, there's a section, it's number 3, where, and Jesus has entitled this section, From Darkness to Light. He says, When you are weary... Remember, you have hurt yourself. Your comforter will rest you, but you cannot. You do not know how, for if you did, you could never have grown weary. Unless you hurt yourself, you could never suffer in any way, for that is not God's will for his son. Pain is not of God. For God knows no attack, and God's peace surrounds you silently. So this, for some, could be a bitter pill to swallow. For some, there is relief in here. But we do have to be willing to give up the way we're looking at the world, the way we're seeing it. We do have to give that up and we have to be willing to see what's really there. When you are weary, remember you have hurt yourself. Your comforter will rest you, but you cannot. 
So this is one of the things about the ego-identified person is we are looking to solve our problems. We are looking to comfort ourselves. We are looking to solve our problems. And what Jesus is telling us in the Course is all your problems have already been solved. Every single one of them already solved. All the problems you think you have, you've made up. So we can't see that unless we're willing to see that the world we see is one that we are projecting. The meaning that we're making is the meaning that we are projecting. And this need not be. This need not be. So, unless you hurt yourself, you could never suffer in any way, for that is not God's will for us, for you, for me. So, for me, my prayer is to stop hurting myself. My prayer is to be willing to see things correctly. My prayer is to give up seeing anything that could upset me. So, it's not that I am going to be ignorant, but I am going to see things correctly. Let me see the truth. Let me know the truth. Let me value the truth. And give up seeing things from a perspective that bothers me, that upsets me. I came to a realization many years ago that I was someone who was seeing things from a wrong perspective. And the way I was seeing things... I was upsetting myself over and over and over again. And I realized that one of the reasons I was doing that, fanning the flames of my upset on a daily basis, was because I was in such denial of my feelings. And one of the only feelings I would let myself feel was upset, hurt, anger, resentment, regret, guilt, shame, blame. These were the feelings that I would let myself have. And I would feel numb without them. So I'd rather feel the negative upset than to feel numb, to be numb. So being upset gave me a sense of, I have power. I have the power to be upset. I have the power to take my upset out on other people. I have the power to believe I'm a victim of this world and to feel wounded by this world. If we go back to this first paragraph here, short and sweet, when you are weary Remember, you have hurt yourself. Your comforter will rest you, but you cannot. So that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So let us go to our comforter, the Holy Spirit, that higher Holy Spirit self, and let us get that comfort. Rest In God, all who are heavy laden, let us rest in God. Your comforter will rest you, but you cannot. You do not know how. For if you did, you could never have grown weary. We don't have to apologize for making ourselves miserable. We don't have to apologize for making ourselves weary. We don't have to apologize for making ourselves sick. All we need do is say, Oh, I'm not interested in that anymore. I am interested in getting that rest, that renewal, that restoration. So when we're grieving... We're experiencing a sense of loss. Now, contemplate this. 
And by contemplate it, I mean really sit with it. Sit with it for days and weeks. Contemplate where you are feeling a sense of loss in your life. Because Spirit has given us everything, held nothing back. We are fully endowed, fully imbued, fully empowered. And only we can really take that away from ourselves. Spirit has given us everything. There's nothing left to give us. Spirit has given us wholeness and freedom and joy and beauty and love and wisdom and clarity and harmony, prosperity and abundance, creativity, so much. We've been given the full load of all these spiritual qualities. Because of our perceptions, we can't see it. We don't recognize it. Because of the things that we are holding up in front of our awareness. We are not seeing what's true. And so then we choose to think that God doesn't really love us. God doesn't really care. God really isn't listening. And then there's a lot to grieve. Let's relinquish the idea, the attachment to the idea, that somehow, some way, there's been a loss. We're eternal, infinite beings. We've been given the fullness of God's love and everything that entails. Where's the loss? Now, as someone who some of my, the most favorite people in my life have passed away, passed from this world, Uh, my best friend, my favorite uncle, my favorite... (laughs) This one, that one, my mother, my grandparents, so many people that I've loved have passed away. And I have experienced it as a loss in the past. And that experience taught me that I was believing that I could experience a loss, that something could be taken away from me. And I had to be willing to recognize only in this world can it seem that way. In the infinite, nothing can be taken from me. Everything has been given to me, nothing is taken away. My relationships are eternal. Love is eternal, and so are our relationships. Sometimes it can seem like, I've I've certainly had the experience where someone I loved dearly stopped talking with me, wouldn't communicate with me, wouldn't even tell me why. And I have done that to other people. What is done to us What we do to others will be done to us. I've experienced both sides of that coin. And I know that our relationships are eternal. They truly are. So if we're willing to know that our relationships are eternal, do we need to stand in a place where we are energizing that there's a loss? that something has been taken from us. Now, for goodness sakes, you lose a spouse, a friend, a child, a parent. These things do feel like a loss. And when we lose a job, when we lose... An ability, a physical ability, a mental ability, when we seem to have a loss, 
that's when we grieve. The, the grief can be so intense when the seeming loss, the loss that we experience in the world of time and space, in earth school, when that seems to affect our identity. And our identity is built on the sinking sands of attachment to things in this world. So if I am grieving the loss of my ability, let's say, to do sports, because I have a sports injury, and I see myself as an athlete, then I'm, I would grieve if I didn't think I could play sports anymore. I would grieve. Grieve the loss. We think we're grieving the loss of that ability. However, what we're really grieving is that identification, the loss of that identification. I see myself as an athlete who has a certain ability. Could that be taken from me if I needed it? If that was truly valuable for me, would it be taken from me? I don't believe that it would. And so I have to look at, aha, my mother's been taken from me. My grandparents have been taken from me. My job has been taken from me. Whatever it is, my sweetheart, my child, what my pet has been taken from me, that there has to be some extraordinary and powerful and beautiful good in that, or it could not have occurred. Because everything works together for good, and there are no exceptions. Let me make no exceptions. So any place in your life where you feel you're grieving, what's happening is the false identity is shifting, and the invitation is to see ourselves in our true identity. It's pure love, pure spirit, pure, pure, pure. And that our accomplishments in the world, our relationships in the world, our expressions in the world, while beautiful and valuable and helpful, they're not who we are. They're not who we are. If we see them as who we are, then we're back into that false idol neighborhood that we talked about last week. In this section from darkness to light, uh, it says here, God is very quiet, for there is no conflict in God. Conflict is the root of all evil. For being blind, it does not see whom it attacks. Yet it always attacks the Son of God, and the Son of God is you. So conflict is the root of all evil. Where does conflict come from? It comes from saying we'd like the peace of God, but denying it. Because we're not willing to employ the means necessary to get it. The ends is in the means. Can we have the peace of God and identify ourselves with a false identity? No, we cannot. The answer is to see the truth, know the truth, live the truth, feel the truth, that's the answer. When we're suffering, when we're grieving, when we're in pain of any kind, truth is the answer. 
I'm a student of Kundalini Yoga and a teacher of Kundalini Yoga. And right now I'm doing daily practice. If you'd like to come and join me, uh, it's part of my End My Self-Sabotage Challenge. And so we're doing uh, seven weeks of spiritual practice together. and We've just been doing a week so far. So come join us. All the details at jenniferhadley.com. There's so much more. There's so much included in this challenge. It's really tremendous. So jump in whenever you can. Even if there's only one week left, jump in. Um, We're going to be just blowing it out this summer, really clearing out the clutter from our heart, taking out the trash from our mind. End My Self-Sabotage Challenge is a beautiful program, and I'm so excited to offer it and be a part of it. I'm loving doing the daily practice with the folks who are showing up. It's a beautiful thing. God is very quiet, for there is no conflict in him. Conflict is the root of all evil, but for being blind, it does not see whom it attacks. Conflict comes from when we say we'd like to be the love of God, but we're choosing unloving thoughts. There's the conflict. When we're conflicted in our mind, conflicted in our heart, and it's so easy to be conflicted because... We, I just see it all the time that many people, if not most people, have issues with the people they love the most. And maybe they're mean or angry or spiteful or withholding with the people that they say they love the very most. They're punishing the people they love the most. You can see the conflict in that. I love you, therefore I punish you because you do not behave the way I'd like you to behave. And somehow we think that punishing the ones we love is going to get them to suddenly start acting the way we'd like them to act. We know that's not going to happen. And if it does, it's pure manipulation. And do we want people to be manipulated into whatever it is we're trying to manipulate them into? I don't think we really do. I don't want to be able to manipulate the people I love. I don't. I really don't. So, we grieve... We grieve because we believe that there's a loss. We grieve that something is lost that we can never get back. Something we need, it's a part of our identity, is gone, and we can't get it back. But is that the truth? Is that the truth, or is that just a wrong perspective? Pain is a wrong perspective. One of the things about this experience of grief that so many people go through is many times people move into this sense of loss, that life is not for them, it's against them. And they keep energizing it every day. The loss, they energize it day after day after day after day. So they're invested deeply in being right about the loss. And there's also a sense of specialness that can develop. It's very common with people who are grieving, they feel special for their grief. Nobody can understand their pain, their suffering, what they're going through. And so they're special because of that. Many people seek specialness as a way of validating their existence. So if they don't feel special because they're so beautiful, so magnificent, so radiant and luminous, so truly helpful, so inspired, so creative... 
if there's not some seeming positive specialness, people will often settle for a negative specialness and get very attached to it as their identity. I am the wounded one. And that is one of the ways that people get locked into grief is the loss that they believe they've suffered, which can only happen in time and space. They see it as part of their identity or they see uh, the all the identity that they worshipped, the false idol identity, has been taken away. Oh my gosh, it's time for me to go to a break. Whew, don't go away. I'll be right back. <laughs> You're listening to A Course in Miracles on Unity Online Radio, where we are walking the talk, we are living the love, and I'll be right back. Thank you for tuning in for A Course in Miracles. Living the love, walking the talk. Welcome back. Our topic this week is grief relief. One of the things that we all see happening in this world is that people can get stuck in a deep grief. And that there is tremendous pain there. And very often what I've seen as a spiritual counselor over the last couple of decades is that people in that deep, deep grief, there is often, in addition to the issue that I talked about in the first part of this episode where our identity is challenged, our self-identity is deeply challenged, there's another thing that can happen when there is the loss of a loved one. And that is that there is a sense of guilt. So, remember that we all are working with this unconscious guilt. The unconscious guilt that shows up as the sense of separation. The unconscious guilt because we believe that we kicked God out of our mind, that we have separated from God, that we're angry at God, that we hate God, we fear God, all of these things contributing to this sense of guilt, that we are the prodigal son who has squandered our inheritance and we're living among the pigs. We haven't yet turned back for home. We're in that place of guilt and squalor and shame. So that can get really intensely triggered when someone dies. So for instance, a man who has uh, hated his father, let his father know that he disliked him, he disrespected him, he did not admire him, and who... uh, had no compassion for his father, uh, was angry with his father, then the father has a heart attack or a car accident, suddenly dies. And the son hasn't spoke to him in some time. There can be tremendous guilt. I could have been loving. I could have been truly helpful. I could have been compassionate and understanding. I could have worked harder, but instead I punished my father. You see, this is why I call the truly helpful prayer our purpose prayer. I am here only to be truly helpful. I am here to represent the one who sent me. I don't have to worry about what to say or what to do because the one who sent me will direct me. I am content to be anywhere Spirit sends me, knowing 
Spirit goes there with me. I am healed. And I heal as I let Spirit teach me to heal. When we don't live that purpose, what I I call the truly helpful prayer, I call it the purpose prayer, my purpose prayer. When I don't live my purpose, when because I used to fall into punishing people all the time, having no compassion, being angry, being resentful, thinking it was my job to hold a grudge against them. When I was in that space, in my mind, it would aggravate my sense of shame and guilt. But I didn't know why. I didn't know why. I didn't know that it wasn't because that it was because I was not living my purpose. I didn't know that. I didn't understand that. Now I do. Now I definitely do. And so what I see in many people is they feel that sense of guilt and shame when they are not living a loving life. And when someone that they care about passes away, all that unconscious guilt can get triggered. Because if they've been punishing that person, even if it's only happening in their mind, they will feel guilty and ashamed. I could have done more. I could have truly loved them. I could have truly helped them, but I didn't. We see so many things about this in the movies, on television, stories where people have this great regret. A lot of the Shakespearean plays are tragedies that show very clearly the opportunity that people had to extend love and compassion. When uh, when I was nine years old, the Franco Zeffirelli movie version of Romeo and Juliet came out. I don't know how I ever came to see it the first time, because the only way to see it was in the movie theaters. But I went to see it nine times. And I was nine years old. I became obsessed with Romeo and Juliet. I got the the record the record album, the LP of the soundtrack. Crazy. I used to listen to it all the time. I I read the play as a child. So strange. But <laughs> I, I love Shakespeare's plays, and I particularly love Romeo and Juliet. So many beautiful passages in there. But it's also a beautiful story about how the ego mindset is to punish and to condemn and to see separation and that the opportunity is always being presented to us to choose love, to choose compassion, to choose to extend and share love and compassion. And when we don't take it, life is painful that to them that have, even more will be given. So if you think of Romeo and Juliet, those two characters, they have love. They have beauty. They have lightness of being. So even more is given to them in that they find each other. And they passionately adore one another. Unconditional love. Now, obviously, they don't spend a whole lot of time together, but they recognize each other because like attracts like. And then what happens is that the people around them don't accept their likeness of being. They're trying to change them. And so they decide that they cannot be together. And so these children take their lives. 
So then you see for the adults in the story, the parents, the Capulets and the Montagues, what they experience is that to them that have even more shall be given, right? That's what Romeo and Juliet experienced. To them that have not, even what they have shall be taken away. To those who do not have love and compassion, even what they have shall be taken away. It seems like a punishment because that's the ego perspective. Ego perspective is always going to see loss as punishment. Just think about in your life where maybe you're experiencing grief, maybe you're experiencing loss or you have in the past. Loss of job, loss of money, loss of friend, loss of health. Look around your life. Where have you experienced loss? And did it feel like a punishment? Really, allow yourself to to contemplate that. Maybe if you're listening to this on replay, you pause now and you look for where you have been seeing it as a punishment, the loss as a punishment. That's not God's nature. That's an ego perspective. So since it is an ego perspective, give it up. Holy Spirit, I am no longer willing to see this as a loss. I am willing to see this for what it truly is. Everything works together for good, and there are no exceptions. So if you think about in the Manual for Teachers, Chapter 4, Section A, Development of Trust, that I refer to again and again, it talks about how God's teachers are induced to make the shift from putting their faith in the ego perspective to putting their faith in love, their trust in love. How does someone make that shift? And Jesus says, first, they must go through what might be called a period of undoing. This need not be painful, but it usually is so experienced. It seems as if things are being taken away, and it is rarely understood initially that their lack of value is merely being recognized. How can lack of value be perceived unless the perceiver is in a position where he must see things in a different light? So if someone is identified with their body, with their job, with their role as a parent or a spouse or something like that, if that's how you perceive yourself as only in relationship to these things in the world, these experiences in the world, these roles in the world, how will you perceive that... This is a false identification unless you're in a position where you can see it from a different perspective. How can lack of value be perceived unless the perceiver is in a position where he must see things in a different light? So I've given the example in the past of someone who's identified with their job. Right, And you can think of, you know, is sort of a, an extreme example of someone who is, um, let's say, very successful in business, making lots and obscene amounts of money. And then something happens and they lose it all. And now they're not that fat cat, that hot shot. Maybe it turns out that... They had invested their time, their energy, their life in something that now is fraudulent. People don't respect it. So that person is now wiped out 
in their heart because they've invested so much in something that really isn't valuable. However, the, the seeming loss works to their advantage because now they can start to see that only love is real. Only love is valuable. And they have valued something that's not valuable. So what Jesus tells us in this beginning of the development of trust is if you can't perceive that what you're valuing is not actually valuable, like someone who's working and working and working all the time, they are not able to see that their children are growing up, they're missing the time with their spouse, their family, their children, and things like that, and they are at, at a loss. They won't, they won't see that they're making decisions every day that are not helpful to them, to their own spiritual growth. And so Jesus says, the teacher of God is not yet at a point at which he can make the shift entirely internally. So they're not able to do it for themselves. Certainly that was true for me. So the plan will sometimes call for changes in what seemed to be external circumstances. I had to be fired from jobs because I wasn't willing to see, oh, this job is not helping me live the life I'm truly meant to live as a minister, as a teacher of God. Jesus says, these changes are always helpful. When the teacher of God has learned that much, he goes on to the second stage. So there can be this tremendous grief when we have been valuing that which is not valuable and it's been taken away from us in order to help us see that we have a false identification, that we have invested in something that is not valuable. Now, of course, your child dies. You've invested yourself in that child. That's valuable. But if you now see your identity as the, the parent, and, and who are you without your child? Think of parents who they call them helicopter parents. And think of the parents who are so identified with their children that the children have no space to be themselves because the parents are micromanaging them. Or the parents are so identified with being that child's parent uh, that the relationship is all ego. It's not really founded in love, in light. The parent is maybe trying to manipulate the child. The, the parent is getting their sense of validation through their relationship with the child. This, this can happen with a pet. It can happen with a job. It can happen with uh, our athleticism or all kinds of things can cause this. And then when there's the loss, it's so painful. So going back to the person who's grieving because they feel ashamed... They, they could have been loving. They could have been compassionate. They feel guilty. There are so many movies and television shows about people who are wounded, ostracized, bullied, murdered, raped, attacked, all kinds of things where people knew something was going on, but they didn't say anything, they didn't do anything, because they didn't think it was their place. And then in those stories, when that person is killed, 
people feel guilty and ashamed because they could have done something, but they didn't. Do you remember that? I guess it's a poem uh, by Friedrich Neimuller. I think that's how you say his name. And uh, it went like this. When the Nazis came for the communists, I remained silent. I was not a communist. When they locked up the social democrats, I remained silent. I was not a social democrat. When they came for the trade unionists, I did not speak out. I was not a trade unionist. When they came for the Jews, I did not speak out. I was not a Jew. When they came for me, there was no one left to speak out. So this is a common theme. We see it in many movies and television shows. And it is an expression of the unconscious guilt that when there's an opportunity for us to speak up with love and compassion, with kindness, with generosity, sometimes it feels awkward, it feels uncomfortable, and so we withhold the love, we withhold the compassion. And then if that opportunity is missed and it's not going to come again, with that person because they're wounded, they're gone, they're murdered, something happens, then it triggers that unconscious guilt and shame that we're not living our purpose. I have done so much spiritual counseling with people who were wounded by family members, raped by family members, and that they have spoken up to people who didn't believe them. Children who were raped by people at their school as young children, and nobody believed them. I mean, incredible things have happened to people. And then if that child is also murdered, and someone could have listened to them, but they didn't, there's this deep sense of guilt and shame And the grief can be so intense because it really is the guilt and the shame. So shame is the result of judgment, self-judgment. If we feel shamed by someone else, it's only because we are believing that judgment. Not because it's true, but because we believe it. Whenever there's shame, we can change our mind The antidote is the truth. We will feel guilty and ashamed if we try to make other people feel guilty and ashamed, but we may not recognize it. We may think that we're feeling guilty and ashamed about something else when really it's that. So this is the way we learn through pain. And suffering. Jesus is inviting us in the course to learn through joy. What is learning through joy? It's learning through direct remembering, direct insight. Ahas. So precious. We can learn that way. Our willingness is all that's required. This is why self-forgiveness opens the door to our spiritual awakening. We have to forgive ourselves for all the judgments we hold against ourselves, for all the opportunities that we've had to be truly helpful, and we did not take them. We chose something else instead. The opportunity to extend self-compassion is always there for us. If you feel tremendous grief, I invite you to get grief counseling. In uh, our Masterful Living community, we have grief support that meets every month. And we have spiritual counselors 
who can support you in doing that grief work. If you go to jenniferhadley.com, you'll see you can find the list of spiritual counselors, those who are certified and those who are in training, and you can look for those who can help you with grief. Grief is something that you can move through much faster. And when you move through the grief, it doesn't mean you didn't love the person. Being in grief over the loss of anything is egotistical. It can be healed. It doesn't mean if you don't grieve, it does not mean you did not love that person. I, after my mom passed away, I had moments of grief, but then I realized my mother is eternal. I am eternal. My relationship with her is eternal. Our love is eternal. It has no end. Let me not pretend that it has an end. And because I really healed my relationship with my mother, I did not feel guilty or ashamed. Guilt and shame and this kind of grief are ways that we keep ourselves playing small, living in lack and limitation. We punish ourselves because we think somehow that will redeem us, but it does not work. Only being loving works. Only extending compassion works. If you're interested in that, jump into my self-sabotage challenge or join me in the Stop Playing Small retreat in September. Yes, let us live a full and glorious life being truly helpful. Grief relief is here. Oh my goodness, thank you for partnering with me. Thank you for joining with me in this moment now. I am blessed by your presence in my life. Let's take that breath of love and gratitude and be so grateful and thankful that healing is ours now. We share the benefits with everyone because we're one with them. In gratitude, we let it be, and so it is. Amen, amen, amen. I love you. Mwah!